no seller financing. It was an SBA deal. Oh. Uh, yeah. So SBA deal. Honestly, my naivete was the blessing in all of it. Uh, looking back on it now, acquiring three stores when I had zero experience uh, in the <laughs> restaurant world or anything was pretty wild. Two of the stores are about 30 minutes apart from one another. The third store is about two hours west. Ooh. So it was, <laughs> I'm thankful for my naivete, but uh, like I said, looking back on it, it's a little crazy how I just jumped in full force. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today on the show, we have CJ Adams. CJ owns a very interesting portfolio of franchises. He dove in headfirst during COVID in September of 2020 and went from being a real estate broker to owning six franchises via three co-branded locations. Today, he owns a large portfolio of franchises that include Great American Cookies, Marble Slab Creamery, Pretzel Maker, and some of the last Maggie Moose ice cream franchises in the country. This is a super fun conversation, and I think you'll enjoy. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. Happy employees mean happy customers. Give your employees the best experience with Harry, the platform to solve your turnover, employee engagement, and compliance challenges, all in one place. Prioritize your people, reduce your risk. Visit harry.com today. That's H-A-R-R-I.com. Where are you based, by the way? I'm in Nashville. So I grew up in New Jersey and typically my first city experience was New York. So I'm a little like jaded by going out of the city sure. because I'm always like, oh, like these ones are too, they're like, it's like feels dead here. Like it's not as big, it's not as lively, but Nashville is the one, one of the only other cities I've been to where I'm like, wow, there is some energy in the streets here. Like it's a pretty sweet city. It, it's wild. It's changed <laughs> a lot, man. It's, I mean, it's like Vegas. Yeah. So that was kind of the fun. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's an interesting town for sure. I mean, did you start acquiring franchises when you moved back to Nashville? Yeah, I did. So, yeah, just I acquired three uh, stores two and a half years ago, September okay. 2020. And yeah. what, what were you doing before that acquisition? Yeah. So, before that acquisition, I was in real estate sales, residential down on the Panhandle of Florida. So I kind of focused on a 16 mile stretch of road called 38 and just sold a bunch of houses there for five, six years. Nice. Okay. And what, like, what brought you back to Nashville? Was it more like family, personal stuff or was yeah, it the franchise? So I went to undergrad in Nashville. My best friends from college were all in Nashville still. And where I live in Florida is a beach town, vacation town. And was it really real life? <laughs> friends joked that I lived in La La Land. Um, 
It was fun for a while, but you know, I was fast approaching 30 yeah. and ready to, you know, have a change of pace, get back to a real city and that that sort of thing. So bounced back up to Nashville, I guess, July of 2020. So middle of the pandemic, which is a wild time to move somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine. All right. That's sweet. So of course, you know, we were talking before you own three different or four different brands right now. Yeah. So September 2020, which, and it's all under the fat brands portfolio. And for anyone who doesn't know fat brands, they own Roundtable Pizza, Fat Burger, Johnny Rockets, and some other big brands that CJ owns himself. So yeah, which brand did you start? You said you acquired three locations? Yeah, so I acquired three, which was actually six franchises. So I acquired three co-branded locations that were all Great American Cookies, Maggie Moose co-brands. So ice cream and cookie in three separate locations. Okay, that's cool. I don't know if I've ever had a co-branded franchisee on here. That That's sweet. Uh, actually, I did have one. It was a Duncan Uzman, one of my first episodes. Yeah, yeah Uzman and I have connected a few times. Okay, yeah, good guy. Yeah. So he's got a couple co-branded. Yeah, yeah. All right, sweet. So what was that process like, especially out of COVID? Like, did you get like a, was the owner just like, I'm done after COVID? Or, you know, you guys, yeah. did you have to finance yeah. it? So, so the whole deal, though, like I said, I was living down in Florida, ready to make a change. You know, I'd been exposed to franchise, the franchise world from a young age, I suppose. And so I'd always poked around, wanted to get into franchising and found these three stores for sale and started negotiating pre-COVID. And then when Arts 2020 hit, we kind of pumped the brakes a little bit, said, hey, let's see how all this plays out. And then June of 2020, got the deal back on the table and closed in September of 2020 on it. Okay, that's amazing. And I mean, three locations, but really six franchises, that's obviously not a, a small purchase. I mean, was there seller financing involved or? No, so no seller financing. It was an SBA deal. Oh. Uh, yeah, so SBA deal. Honestly, my naivete was the blessing in all of it. Uh, looking back on it now, acquiring three stores when I had zero experience uh, in the <laughs> restaurant world or anything it was pretty wild. Two of the stores are about 30 minutes apart from one another. The third store is about two hours west. Ooh. So it was... <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful for my naivete, but uh, like I said, looking back on it, it's a little crazy how I just jumped in full force. Yeah, holy crap. Okay, so yeah, let's, let's like walk through the ops of that. I mean, are there store managers that stuck around and then and they're kind of like yeah. showing you the ropes? Like, how does that go on day one when you show up? <laughs> so I had store managers at every store kind of a week before closing uh the seller told me that one of the store managers had quit <laughs> but he had a suggestion for a solution of someone internal to you know put in the gm position for that store and so at that point i didn't know anything else to do so i said yeah that sounds great i had been through training with both maggie moose and great american cookies so I, I say i went to ice cream and cookie school and i did the nuts and bolts of you know how to bake the cookies make the ice cream you know all that sort of stuff but the day-to-day operations of the stores you know it was a little loosey-goosey there for a while so yeah took over the three stores met all the store managers staff just did a day or two before closing and just jumped in with both feet yeah holy crap i mean 
they're co-branded stores, so at least it's like, I mean, it's three locations, and I would guess sometimes, like your supply chain to a degree is consolidated because you're getting cookies and ice cream delivered to each store, and it's the same building, right? Like that, that, that's a exactly. So yeah, our deliveries are pretty streamlined. I mean, we it was same vendors obviously for all three locations, so ordering was pretty you know streamlined and, and that sort of stuff. But essentially, you know, with a co-brand, you are running two franchises in one. And there's obviously some cross-pollination uh, between products. You know, we'll make an ice cream cookie sandwich and, you know, we'll yeah. put cookies in a milkshake, you know, stuff like that. But by large, operationally, it's very different from running just a single brand. I've got one store that's just a Great American Cookies. And operationally, it's a completely different ballgame. When you structure the co-branded, if I'm applying for a job at your store, am I applying? Is it like Maggie Moose versus Great American Cookies or is it just one store? And like sometimes yeah, you're serving cookies. Store. Yeah. Yeah. So we cross train every employee. So they're, you know, not only you know, scooping cookies, serving cookies, they're also scooping ice cream or, you know, they'll learn to make ice cream. One of the unique things is we make all of our ice cream in house. A lot of people don't realize that. So we use local dairy to make our ice cream. So, our employees are cross-trained to be able to work both sides. Fascinating. And so, you know, as the franchisor, I mean, if, if you're getting a cookie that's technically great American cookies, but then putting it in an, I don't know, or maybe you're, let's just go with the ice cream sandwich. Like, is the, does a franchise fat brands care? Like, is there, or do you have to build that a certain way? Because like maybe one brand's getting part of the royalty, you know, on the back end and the other one's only getting- right. Yeah, like how, how does that work? Is there a like specific? Uh, yeah, so from their royalty standpoint, I mean, I I believe I'm correct on this. The ice cream cookie sandwich is a Maggie Moose product. So oh. royalties are are going to Maggie Moose on that product, on that item. Okay, so I'm just nerding out here on like now the, the back end. Yeah, you're good. But uh, like, I mean, so then on your Great American Cookies, like does that impact your P&L that the cookies are going basically? Yeah. You're not charging money yeah, for those to- yeah, so I mean, we run P and L for on a per location, not a per brand basis. Okay. So it really kind of all works out of the watch. All right, and so you own those three stores, but six franchises. Yeah. Could you just give us an idea of today? What's the portfolio look like if we're zooming yeah. out? So started with those three about six, seven months later. I bought a fourth location that is a co-branded Great American Cookies and Pretzel Maker. So I had to go to pretzel school. Randy Green's man, very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, my, my parents wanted me to go to law school or med school, and I, I got a pretzel degree. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, making them proud. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I had to go learn the pretzel world and bought that store. That store is outside of Memphis, Tennessee. So in Collierville, Tennessee, gray store. And from there, about a year later, bought a cookie store. So my only solo Great American Cookies in the Memphis area also. And then this past November, I bought a Great American Cookies Marble Slab co-brand in the Nashville area. So that brought me to six locations total. And next week, I am closing on two locations in Knoxville, Tennessee. One that is just a Great American Cookies and one that's a Great American Cookies Marble Slab Kyle brand. Dude, we, we need a Venn diagram for these uh, locations. Uh, and the brand. <laughs> it's confusing. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's a solo uh, Great American Cookies in a mall. So I guess I backing up all of my stores to this point are outside of malls. And they're either in strip centers, outdoor lifestyle centers, or outdoor outlet malls. Sure. So I've yet to go inside a mall. Uh, so one of the stores I'm buying in Knoxville is actually inside a mall, old school. And the other one is a Great American Cookies Marble Slab co-brand that's in a uh, strip center. I guess first, yeah, I mean, the pace of an acquisition is super impressive. How are you getting the deal flow and like finding all these opportunities and it's pretty local. So yeah, like how have you been pulling this off? (laughs) Basically by just calling and talking to everybody from the minute I got in the brand, I was made it very evident to everybody. Hey, I want to grow and I want our stores. Yeah. We are similar to guys like Brian Beard, you know, with Midas, a lot, lot of, you know, onesie twosie franchise owner. We don't have a lot of big groups in our system. So, which, you know, from an acquisitions perspective for me, you know, makes it hard at times because look, I'd love to go out and buy, you know, 10 stores at a time, but that's often just not possible. Yeah. It's finding single, you know, sometimes two, three unit owners that I cultivate relationships with. And uh, the store I bought in November, that took two and a half years. I started talking to that owner before I even bought my first three stores. So it's a long tail out a lot of yeah. stuff and yeah. Sorry. So you're definitely playing, you're networking, you're playing the long game. It sounds like, I mean, w- what is that? And it's not uncommon on this podcast that, you know, like you said, Brian Beers is on, you know, kind of, he honestly kind of kickstarted that theme, like from my perspective and for me, he did, but yeah, just this kind of like find your way into a franchise system. And then you have access to all, like basically this closed network of business owners. And so just how does it work in practice? I mean, you're just shooting a text like once a month being like, Hey, remember, like, <laughs> give me a call when you're ready. <laughs> or like, it's, it's that. And it's also corporate, the folks at Fat Brands, you know, they hear about folks that want to sell, you know, pretty early on, you know, you've got, you know, franchisees that have been in the system 20, 30 years, whatever, you know, their FBC franchise business consultant is, is talking to them. And that's kind of how it's developed. I'll get a call from somebody and say, hey, this guy may have interest in selling. I don't know what that looks like. Here's his number. Maybe I don't have it already. And you know, real quickly, just go from having a conversation and kicking it off there to see if it's something that makes sense. And look, there's a lot of stores that don't make sense, unfortunately, from a geographical perspective. That's what makes it hard, you know, that I, I struggle with every day. I talked to my VP of Ops about how do we feel about you know acquiring a single store that's multiple states away? Ooh. You know, it, it's a catch twenty two. You know, it, it could be great or it can be a disaster. Typically, I like to keep three stores in a metro area. I think is a good uh, number to have surrounding one another if you can kind of be around that. But at the end of the day, if I'm going on a pure acquisitions play then, you know, that's not always an option, especially with our brands that have generally been mall-based brands. And so there just are a lot of opportunities with a density of stores to acquire. No, for sure. And yeah, I could totally see just the operational kind of conundrum there, right? Of if there is a good location available, but it is far away. I mean, that could just, is the juice worth the squeeze becomes the question there. Exactly. Yeah. You've got an interesting portfolio, man. I mean, do you have a uh, preference? Because you've got 
different co-branded locations. You've got some singles. Uh, like, you know, do sometimes my thought with co-branded is like, for instance, the Duncan Baskin Robbins, which is a classic one. Like, I kind of get that, right? Because you have coffee in the morning, then you're serving out of the same location, you got ice cream. Like, you're not diluting one another, but sure. There's an argument where, like, maybe I was going to get cookies, but oh, I just saw a milkshake. And I guess the money's still going to you. So who cares? Right. But yeah, I'm just curious. Do you yes, have a preference? At the end of the day, I'm a cookie guy. <laughs> You'll notice the through line of all my stores is Great American Cookies. So every single store that I have is at least a Great American Cookies branded store. It may be co-branded with something else or just solo, but every store is Great American Cookies. And I grew up with that brand. Like that, that's nostalgia to me. Okay. Uh, our cookie cakes, I had it every, you know, birthday party, baseball party, you know, back to school function, whatever. So at my core, I'm, I'm a cookie guy. We all know that when employees are happy, so are your customers. If you want to provide the best experience for your employees, you need Harry. Harry is the platform. Founded by a restaurateur, Harry solves turnover, employee engagement, and compliance all in one place. Set your team up for success and join over 50,000 restaurants and hotels around the world. Put your people first and visit harry.com for a free demo. That's H-A-R-R-I.com. So myself included, I think Great American Cookies may be like under-discussed, especially with the whole crumble cookies craze that yeah. started. Um, and it, in the middle of the cookie wars. Yeah, yeah. Well, but so, I mean, again, I haven't given great American cookies enough credit, but like they are the, the original from a franchise perspective, at least. So, yeah, I mean, what do you, you got any thoughts there on just what's going on with crumble <laughs> and all these competitors popping up? Or are you like, Hey, we've yeah, been doing I mean, this. I think it's interesting. You know, look, I've been to buy a fair share of crumbles and had the chance to check out like dirty dough and, and some of the others, uh, yet, but whether it's Mrs. Fields or Jeff's treats or, or, you know, local bakeries, all sorts of stuff. Look, there's good products like, across all segments of the cooking, you know, marketplace. I think some of us cater to different customer bases, okay. uh, ultimately, too. And so you know, what I like about our brand is we had a unique product offering that no one else, knock on wood, really offers. And that's the cookie cake. And that's where we can differentiate ourselves. We can take a you know high dollar item and make that a core part of our business. Where we're not just selling, you know, a single cookie at a time or a half dozen cookies at a time. So a 16 inch round cookie cake <laughs> or, you know, 35 to 40 bucks that your average ticket sale can pop up pretty quickly. And you get those repeat customers who are, you know, like I was growing up that have that cookie cake, you know, once a month for some sort of celebration or, or yeah. twice a month, whatever it is. We have a lot of offices that. They order a cookie cake for every single person's birthday, you know, in the office. And so just throughout the year, you get that kind of stuff. And that's where I think we're unique in what we offer from a cookie perspective. Yeah, no, for sure. And I love the, uh, the corporate aspect. Do any like intentional catering aspect? We're trying to build into it. It's hard. Look, I mean, just keeping operations going within the four walls is hard enough these days with the current labor issues and everything else, but have been very intentional with some recent new hires that that's something we want to start tackling because I think there's a tremendous opportunity there 
We get a fair amount of catering inquiries on the ice cream side, actually. Oh. Which is yeah, like we've got a 400 person catering gig we're doing this weekend with ice cream. And so, you know, with that, we'll try and, you know, do an upsell and add in a couple cup cookie cakes and that sort of thing too. So that's what makes it fun having both brands as well is that we can kind of, you know, mix and match from that perspective also. That's super interesting. I mean, uh, yeah, I just love the idea of catering because, like you said, right? You, if you can get those customers, it can be really super repeat business. And uh, far less likely to like, I mean, it depends on who you're catering for, but for the most part, businesses are less price sensitive, right? Than your average Joe that's working in. So yeah, now it's a good thing. I think too, if you can build that in, that'd be awesome. Well, so talk to me, I guess, about just the brand variety and, you know, I mean, for you as coming into it, when you would say like you added Marble Slab, I think it's a co-branded location. Also ice cream, correct? That's correct. And so just to kind of clarify, because it's as if it's not confusing enough already, <laughs> uh, Maggie Moose and Marble Flab are one and the same. Okay. I was Googling it as you were talking and I was like, I, I'm typing in Maggie Moose, but Marble Slab's coming up. I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. So they're one and the same. The Maggie brand has slowly been phased out over the past five to 10 years. Okay. I think I have three of the last four Maggie Moose in no way uh, yeah so and at some point they'll ha- change over to marble which i'm scared to death to do if i'm being frank really uh, well they have such great equity in the communities they're in and that's the interesting thing about the ice cream business is though we're franchises and we're you know a decently sized operator you know we're not just the average mom and pop single you know unit folks people view us as the neighborhood ice cream shop yeah. And so even though our packaging, our POP inside the store, everything has both the Maggie Moose and Marble Lab logo on it, when that flips to just be a marble, people are sensitive to that sort yeah. of thing. There have been stores and obviously that have done it and it hasn't, you know, caused an issue. And ultimately I think, you know, if we do it right when that time comes, we won't see an issue with our customer base. But it's definitely, you know, it's, again, as that nostalgia earlier for me in, in Great American Cookies, there's a lot of people that, you know, have a lot of nostalgia for the Maggie Moose brand that grew up in these communities, you know, that I'm a friend that I went to college with whose wife worked at a store I own like 15 years ago. No way. And, you know, so there's just stories like that that you hear about in the community. And, and so there's, you know, that factor definitely in play. It's fascinating too. I mean, and it's kind of funny because there are some folks out there who maybe underestimate the power of brand, but here you are potentially on the verge of converting from, you know, an ice cream shop from Maggie Moose to Marble Slab. But the reality is it's literally the exact same store, exact same people, probably just changing a sign or two. Is that, am I underselling it or is that pretty much it? No, that's really it. It's, it's changing the sign out front. But that that's it, man. People fall in love with like, the brand and what it stands for in their mind. So yeah, now it's like you kind of, you might have to almost, I mean, the reality is like the past, the past, you can't transfer nostalgia over to a new brand. But I mean, the loyalty and all that, I think from like a local aspect, you you can still keep that business, I would guess. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, I I think like like you said, it's the same product. I mean, it's the same ice cream. 
if we're delivering the same, you know, customer experience and yep. we're in the exact same location, you know, people are creatures of habit. You know, those folks that come in for ice cream every Friday night, they're going to keep coming in every Friday night. And so whether it's Maggie News or Marble Flap, you know, on the outside of the building, you know, and so we're trying to just slowly integrate the Marble Flap logo and branding so that, hey, when that day does come, it's not such a shock. Well, so from an ops perspective, to me, it's interesting, especially because you were a real estate broker, right, prior to this. So I'm going to guess, I mean, were you kind of flying solo in those days? Like just, it's like you and selling houses, or are you like managing brokers beneath you? No, so I just, I had a small team, but yeah, it was me. Yeah, I ate what I killed. Yeah. And that was, you know, the most recent business, you know, prior to this. And then I tell people I, I've never had a real job. So I, all I've done since college is just start companies. And so successfully unemployed for a number of years now, I guess. But um, yeah, so it uh, was definitely a shock going from, you know, I had a few folks beneath me in the real estate business to, hey, now I've got, they meet, you know, with the three-store acquisition, I had 30, 40 employees. And that was quite the yeah. shift overnight. Yeah, I would say, man. Yeah, that that's kind of where I'm going with this is like, how do you manage that? And like, I guess there's got to be part-time labor, I'd imagine, pretty heavily involved in this, right? So, I mean, what is it even like? And when someone leaves, is it like, is it almost, because I talked to some QSR owners and, you know, people just in food and beverage, and it's almost like an expectation that you're just going to have this turnover and you just, there's, you just go right back to the job board and start interviewing people again. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess just to kind of really put it in perspective too. So, so my stepdad is in franchising also. Um, and so I grew up around it with him and he told me when I was getting into this, he said, yeah, at the end of the day, this is a people business. And and every day I reminded him that I, I, I tell my team that like, this is a people business. We just happen to sell ice cream and cookies, you know? And so it, people are at the core of everything we do, whether that's our employees or our customers, franchise or, you know, everybody. And for us, we've been really heavy on culture and, you know, doing what we can to retain people, you know, care a lot about our employees and, and our team. And we try to build a bench, you know, we're, we know when the ice cream business is going to pick up each year. It's about this time of year. So, okay. you know, we start bringing people, more people on, you know, in February, early is ice cream sales start picking up March, April, May, June, July, August, obviously. So, yeah, we're pretty much always hiring. You know, even if we don't have a specific need, if we find a great person, let's bring them on and let's figure out where we can use them. Yeah. Because at some point, just inevitably, there's going to be churn. You know, there's going to be turnover. We, Nashville is a college town, you know, to some degree too. You know, we've got Vanderbilt, we've got Belmont, Lipscomb. Yeah. So, you know, those kids go away during spring break, during Christmas, during summer. So, you know, we're always needing more people. No, definitely. I can't even imagine just... uh I mean, the the speed at which you just dove into it, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, g- looking forward, you know, do you have thoughts around adding other brands specifically or you kind of, I know you said Great American Cookies is kind of your, like yeah. the, the anchor to this all. Is it just, are you trying to acquire more of those or is it kind of whatever pops up locally? I go back and forth all the time. I think there's advantages to, you know, each different path. Look, I love cookies. I love the Great American Cookies brand. 
mm-hmm. where I'm limited geographically, you know, unless I want to truly expand into other states with that. So there's something that makes sense with staying with one brand and going multi-state. But then at the same time, from an ops perspective, you know, I like the idea of adding another brand and staying in the Tennessee area. But with that, I think I'm very picky about brands that I would want to be a part of and operationally what I think makes sense. You know, I, I think I've seen more and more. I like the restaurant light brands, as I call them. Yeah, you know, where you don't have fryers, you don't have grills, you know, you don't have all that. You don't need 40, 50 people to run a store. You know, with us, and that's one of our advantages on hiring. You know, we can say, hey, you can work at Taco Bell, McDonald's, whatever. But man, you're working back in that kitchen with the grills, with the fryers, with everything. Yeah. With us, it's fun. You know, I, yeah. I mean, I, that's what I tell everybody we're interviewing. It's ice cream and cookies. There's not a single person that comes in that's upset. And that's true. It's a fun place to work. And it's a different environment, different atmosphere. And that's one of the fun things about it that I think we're able to capture and retain employees as a result of. That's a good point. You go into those fast food joints, you do get angry customers, you got drive throughs you got lines, you got people honking horns. Like, But yeah, the vibe at cookies and ice cream shops it is generally pretty damn good. You're going to have people that come in, you know, you're always going to have people who we disappoint or something. We always try to make it better, obviously, but look, people are typically either coming in to celebrate something or they've had a bad day and they're looking to turn it around with a cookie or an ice cream. One way or another, they're going to leave with a smile. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, that's what's fun on the guest interaction, you know, standpoint as well. So, yeah. When you got into this all, do you like, do you know how to make all the cookies, all the ice cream at any of the stores? I mean, are you like able to step in and get your hands dirty if need be? Absolutely. And uh, that's one of the reasons I got into these brands. So like I said, I was looking around at a lot of different franchises, came close to buying 10 super cuts early 2020. Very different. And get very different and had someone say to me, hey, CJ, you know, with one of those stylists, you know, doesn't show up for work one day, you can't jump in and, you know, fill that spot. But cookies, you can jump in and you can scoop, bake, and serve cookies. Yeah. And that, to me, from an operational standpoint, made a world of difference. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, you like that layer of security where you weren't solely depending on hiring someone to actually basically drive revenue. Right. No, that makes sense. So as you've scaled, have you added sort of GNA, like general administrative functions, like I, I know you mentioned a VP of ops. Did that yeah. was he? I'm assuming that wasn't there from the start. Like you, you found someone who could help you no, kind of. So I, yeah, I've added it earlier than probably most would, with the intent of scaling and growing. So currently we're set up. So like I said, next week we'll have eight stores. So we've got VP of ops and then two area coaches beneath them that will each oversee you know, three to five stores. And so that's going forward. That's going to kind of continue to be the setup is, you know, having those area folks that can, you know, oversee between four to six stores, I think is the sweet spot on that. And yeah, yeah that's kind of our overall setup. Fascinating. So I take it because, you know, I'm looking at the fat brands portfolio here, you know, maybe the pizza and the burger joints, are kind of probably out of the equation, which that's actually a lot. And then there's the Buffalo's world famous wings, Twin Peaks. Like, would you consider going outside of fat brands at some point or is there kind of restrictions? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, 
and then I'm always talking to a variety of franchisors. Yeah. Uh, primarily in the food space, but I've looked outside of the food space as well. So yeah, I'm open to anything that makes sense, I guess, that I think our team aligns with and can, you know, fold in with our existing operations. Yeah. Uh, pretty seamlessly is kind of kind of where I'm at. Well, look, man, this has been uh, super fun. Uh, honestly, just learning about the different brands, different co-branded locations. If Is there anywhere online where people can follow either you, any of the brands, just kind of learn more about this whole world that you're building out there? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess best place is on Twitter. I've taken a bit of a hiatus the past couple of months, but re-engaging now. But Jay Adams, S-E-E-J-A-Y, Adams. CJ, just the two letters was taken. So had to be a little creative. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's the best place to follow along. Beautiful. Yeah, well, uh, I'll link those in the show notes, folks, so you can follow them on Twitter. And yeah, CJ, thanks again, man. And we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. Listen.